What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 237 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday night. In fact, it is less than 10 minutes after the game came to a close with, with the Braves losing in pretty close-fought, uh, you know, climactic fashion, I will say. And joining me to discuss the action as often is Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a pretty wild week of games and some off-field stuff, too, to talk about. So should be a good one. For sure. And uh, let's just start on Sunday night. Obviously, we don't always do that, but because the game literally just ended and it was pretty interesting in a lot of ways, the Braves lose by a final score of 5-4 to four on Sunday night. Um, in fact, they had the potential time run barreling around the bases in the final seconds. Uh, Dansby Swanson uh, did not get a gr- the greatest lead in the world, which is uh, surprisingly, A-Rod added some value in that moment. Uh, he usually does not, in my opinion, <laughs> as an analyst, no. but Dansby's lead was not very large and uh, as we as we know, as Braves fans know, Swanson is extremely fast and was really humming around the bases, uh, but got thrown out of the plate. And uh, credit to the Phillies where credit is due. That was a heck of a ra- it was a heck of a relay by Philly to throw out Dansby at the plate after Fred after Freddie found a gap in left center field. It felt for a few minutes like it was going to be uh, extra innings potentially, or maybe the Braves even keeping on playing in the ninth. But alas, it was not to be, and uh, the Phillies bullpen managed to hold on to the lead for the first time uh, ever, it feels like. And yeah, I mean, no no uh, huge loss for Atlanta, but certainly, felt like, at, least, at least for a moment, it felt like it was going to happen for the Braves. And uh, there was some controversy, too, with, uh, I guess, at least a partial plate blocking that went to a review, but uh, did not go the Braves fashion. Yeah, that's a tricky rule, to be sure. I mean, obviously, the catcher and the, the player has the right to catch the ball. I don't know how he would would have caught in the ball without running into the base path a bit. I do hope uh, Dansby's shoulder is okay. I think he, he probably jammed his shoulder a little bit against the knee of, of the catcher. So obviously he's a guy who's had a couple of injuries over the years. You hope that he's okay. He got off the field and didn't seem to be any immediate pain, but might be one of those. He wakes up tomorrow morning. is a little sore, but uh, again, you know, they, they won the series over the weekend. You certainly would have liked to, to complete the comeback on Sunday night and, and get the sweep over Philly. But, uh, taking two out of three, uh, especially when you faced Aaron Nola in, in the most Braves fashion ever. They beat Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, but lose uh, to Robbie Erlin. Uh, is very on brand for the Braves, but uh, a disappointment. But hopefully, uh, hopefully they're able to bounce back and, and Dansby's okay. By the way, they did not lose to Robbie Erlin. They lost to Zach Eflin, but it, that Zach sounds very, Eflin. That, that looks and very uh, looks and sounds the same. For the last. <laughs> I just want to make it's sure awesome. people uh, know that we're not crazy. They lost to Zach Eflin tonight, but uh, I was with you all the way on all yeah. of that. Um, you know, other than the games itself, and we'll always touch on what transpired to some degree during the week. Uh, I want to start with the lead story, I think, at least in my opinion. 
um, and I think yours as well, and that is the uh, the Christian Pache uh, deployment saga. Uh, Pache was called up this week, which is a good thing. Uh, he was called up on Tuesday, uh, sort of late, uh, but because they had it to fill a roster spot, we'll come back to that in a second. When Marcakis got placed in the COVID IL, he did not start Tuesday for a pretty good reason. He was very late arriving to the ballpark, so that actually made some sense. Then, Pache, uh, a top 10 prospect in baseball, according to most people, uh, started against Aaron Nola in his first game. And Aaron Nola, a very, a very good pitcher, so uh, they were not hiding him in that moment. But then, Pache sat the last two games after uh, the Wednesday rainout and Thursday off day. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's <laughs> interesting to me. So... I'm not even sure where we go with this. Obviously, the the, the his debu- his debut got delayed by the rain, so it was like this extra anticipation for two more days. We were talking about this last week on the podcast with Eric and I, like kind of planning on Pache being up, and then he was. It was one game, and now he's not playing. And uh, as of Sunday, Mark Bowman, who we trust for the most part on this podcast, uh, is at least putting out there, not reporting, but he would not be surprised if Pache goes back down to the minors in the very near future because Brian Snicker, this is the last thing I'll say before I throw it to you, Scott. Brian Snicker said in advance of the game on Sunday that uh, the choice to go with Matt Adams at DH and Ender Inciarte in center field was because Snicker was, quote, looking for offense, end quote. And also he referenced the fact that Pache was, quote, up here to help out late in the game defensively until Ronald gets back, end quote. Uh, I lay it all out for you, Scott. What was your reaction <laughs> yeah. to all of that? Uh, a lot of thoughts, I guess, so I don't ramble for 20 minutes here. I, I guess, um, okay, so it sounds like the Braves truly brought him up because there were really no other options on the 40-man, and they've had the injuries, losing Marquecas suddenly and Acuna. They needed an outfielder, which I get, that's fine. But if you're going to bring him up, why not give him some chances? You're past uh, the Super 2 deadline, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, I, I guess if they, the front office feels that he's not ready to see big league pitching every day, that's fine. Uh, if, if that's their evaluation, but why not let him get a couple of chances to swing the bat? Um, we have talked ad nauseum about Ender's very, very poor season. He's, he's not driving the ball. He's striking out. He's not getting on base. Whenever he does get on base, it seems to be a little squib single somewhere or another. Um, I, I just didn't really understand it. And, and I think that we saw on one of the games uh, he, he is an all-world defensive player. I think that alone is where his value he, that's a makes him an everyday big leaguer. Even if he just hits a little bit, that defense is so so good. We saw him make a rocket throw from left field yep. the night he got in as a defensive replacement, cold off the bench too. It's not like he'd been out there for <laughs> nine innings. Just literally two minutes before it comes in the game and and missed at throwing out the game-ending runner at the plate by I don't know uh, a foot, two feet. Um, so yeah, it was a weird week. It, it, everyone kind of thought whenever he first came up that he was going to be there for good. And clearly that is not what the front office was thinking. So I was pretty surprised and uh, discouraged that he, other than the one game, he was really given no chance to play at all. Yeah. It's very weird because uh, this is my broad thought about this is that you do not normally see prospects of his caliber and his reputation and his pedigree used in this way. Normally, if you have a top 10, top 15 prospect in all of baseball called up for the first time, in the middle of a season, that guy's not being called up to be a defensive replacement. And I know there is some logistical issues to give them a little bit of cover. Um, it was mentioned by multiple people today that 
Pache was essentially the only guy on the already on the 40 man. And again, that's an interesting distinction because the 40 man doesn't really mean as much as it usually does right now. There's a lot more flexibility this year, but he was on the 40 man already. And he was the only available body without, without, a, without a corresponding move for the Braves to call up when they needed just somebody else to fill a spot that wasn't a catcher. Now, okay, but when it's Christian Pache and he is that kind of premium prospect, I get that it might have been a convenience call up, but you just put that guy in the lineup, I feel like. And I know, and especially when it didn't make a lot of sense to me that you would play him to make his debut against Aaron Nola. Yeah. The best pitcher on Philadelphia's roster. Like, you're not hiding him in that spot. Righty on righty, too. Pache's a right handed batter, and you weren't hiding him then, but apparently you needed to not have him in there for offense against Wheeler and Eflin. And as, as noted before, you know, Ender's money does matter. That's something I want to make sure I say again. I always say this, but Ender having guaranteed real money for next year does matter, and they're not going to just send him packing um, as early as they might possibly should because he is owed money and all that stuff. But to come out and say that it was an offensive-driven move and <laughs> put the onus on Matt Adams playing over Pache where you have a hard time convincing anybody, including me, that Pache would be worse than Ender at the plate right now. I, I, and that's someone who is skeptical, skeptical of prospects and all that stuff. Ender at this point has a low 40s WRC+. Plus. He has a 6% hard hit rate for the season and the worst exit velocity in Major League Baseball among qualified players. He's been pretty much the worst hitter in the league this season. Um, and Pache, I think, is better defensively. I mean... I'm trying oh, yeah. to I'm, I'm trying to give Ender credit here and just say you know that Ender's a veteran, a former Gold Glover that earned that. But even if you are as skeptical as possible that of of a prospect translating, Pache is a plus 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 defensive prospect. Ender is a step slower or two steps slower than he used to be. And I don't know. You're they're deferring to the vet. I, I get all of that, and I get for me. I want to point out that it's not as simple as just like. There's this notion out there today that Ender could be just like, just sent to the minors. That's not a thing. Like Ender, Ender doesn't. It's not what you can do with him. He's owed real money next year. You can't just like snap your fingers and put Ender on ice. Um, he has to be around, or you have to pay him next year after you cut him. But it's just weird to me, man. I'm, I'm not trying yeah. to blast everybody. I don't want to. I don't want to. I know we have the rep of being very critical at times, but this one doesn't make any sense. You, you just need to play yeah. the guy. You can't call up a prospect of, of this caliber. And then you're playing Matt Adams. If they had great options, I would honestly understand it. But when your options are Ender in center field and Matt Adams, who I, I praise that signing as like a fallback insurance play, but he looks bad. And yeah. if that's the justification to not play Christian Bache, I don't, I'm not sure what we're doing here. Well, and, and of course, too, we're, we're obviously talking about the lineup, but defensively, he can change a game. And we've yeah. seen Marcelo Zuna <laughs> tweeted earlier in the week, I, I think after watching Marcel for a month, we see why Mark Bowman was so adamant about Ozuna being the worst defensive outfielder on the team. He's been yeah. really rough out there. The He has no throwing ability. I mean, it's, it's almost kind of painful. You can tell, obviously, he had the shoulder procedure. I mean, no, he la- last week I, I fell on the sword finally. I mean, we I yeah. was uh, I was defiant, and last week with Eric, I admitted that I was I was wrong about that. Ozuna is bad defensively. Like he's yeah. yeah, he's not so bad that you can't play him if you have to. But honestly, the only reason to do that is if you have somebody else to DH, and Matt Adams is not good enough, to, right. Not good enough at DH to force Ozuna in, into the field. That's just not the case. Right. If I have the choice, I'm going to have Ozuna DH instead of Matt Adams DH. Correct. Ten times out of ten. So again. 
I was surprised if the front office really made this move having no intention to play him. I, I guess that's okay. That's their prerogative. They have seen Christian more than you and I have. But, again, it was just a real surprise. And, um, again, it, I don't want to necessarily uh, turn this into a super long deep dive in the front office. But, for me, the last, I don't know, 18 months, I've thought they've had some really questionable handling of the prospects. And <laughs> let's do this now. I mean, you tweeted about it and made a, made a firestorm today. So let's yeah. spend a few minutes on this. I mean – It's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, and you, that, it, it is what – we do, I think, collectively sometimes. Is we, we say some things that get, uh, that get people mad at us. And look, we both come at this as people that want the organization to, to succeed. I think there's this notion that we're just being negative to be negative, and that's not the case. We want the Braves to win at a high, high level. But, I mean, you ruffled feathers with this. I think we disagree, actually, to a certain point. I don't think this is a giant front office issue. And I'm not saying you I'm not saying that you are saying that either, but it's um this one Pache thing is certainly weird and I I hesitate to assign blame to manager or front office. It's probably both in some respects because they had to know that Snicker was going to do this with him, <laughs> you would imagine. Um or maybe there was not a lot, enough communication there. But regardless, I, I for me this this did not set off alarm bells in terms of the front office for me, but I want to hear why you are worried yeah. or not worried. I'm not even sure how to, how to describe it. What, what's your current feeling on the front office? Because I feel, I feel like yeah. you're a little bit more skeptical of the front office specifically than I am right now. Well, and when I tweeted it, you know, I will say this. 2020, this season is unlike anything they've done before. And I don't want it to come across as something that I have just recently felt. I felt this way for 18, 24 months now. Um, it really started with the pitchers. I, I've not liked the way they've jerked them around all over the place, the way they have called them up for random spot starts, the way they have um, called them up to sit in the bullpen as emergency insurance for you know a couple weeks at a time, and then they send them down after making one appearance in two weeks. Um, it's really been something that I think as we're trying and seeing that all these young pitchers have, have, have had trouble developing. Um, again, I, I am not in the front office. I don't know their exact philosophy on this. But I, I don't think jerking players around multiple levels in a normal year is positive for anybody. Um, I was hoping that Christian would be able to stay up. They haven't even really even given him the chance to, to show what he can do, in my opinion, uh, other than the one game. At this point, I feel like they have nothing to lose by letting him play every day against the big league pitching. He's not going to get exposed in this short season. If he has a bad week, you just chalk it up to, oh, he had a bad week. And, and give him a chance. And look. If he goes out there and he goes two for 20 over the next week, you just send him back down. It's not like you have a binding contract where you can't send him down. Um, but you're never going to know what he can do if, if he's sitting the bench every night. And again, um, it's not just with Pache. I, I think it's, it extends throughout the organization. Um, but those are just kind of my feelings on it. Yeah, and you know, this is one of those things where we'll, where we're never going to know the full process. Like, there's been lots of talk about Anthopolis having to snicker proof the roster at times to keep snicker from doing things that are perhaps detrimental strategically. And I'm saying that as uh, politically as possible, um, you know, snicker, we don't want to have the whole thing again with him, but uh, he has strengths and weaknesses, uh, strengths, obviously locker room stuff, uh, beloved in the clubhouse, etc. weaknesses. I think he uh, is not a good tactical manager. Um, and I think Anthopolis probably knows that deep down inside. And there are certainly moves where you can see, like, we all kind of see coming what happens sometimes. Um, so we don't really know where the buck stops on that because, on one hand, the GM is the manager's boss. 
on the other hand, GMs don't want to micromanage their managers in general. Um, so it's that, there's this weird sweet spot where we don't really know what the decision-making tree is on stuff like this. With that said, I think I agree with you that some of the handling of the young guys especially has been not great um, overall, and that goes for pitchers and the young players. Just the way they're just the way they're talked about at times, too. Young guys do not get the benefit of the doubt for the most part. Even the stars, like even someone like Ronald Acuna, has not gotten the benefit of the doubt um, in public statements from the manager in particular um, in a way that's like jarring when compared to the veterans. Um, I don't know. There is sort of an organizational thing where I think they do, uh, you know, Every organization leans on veterans, but the young players are just not uh, given a whole lot of rope in most mm-hmm. instances, I think, on the team right now. And then you throw in, and then you get to a spot like third base where they have these two guys who are ostensibly young players. I know Kamaru's not that, not that young, but, and they're having to roll with him every day and it's not going that well. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the downside of it is when things go badly, you don't have like a parachute, but I don't know. I, I'm not. We're definitely not in a position to blindly praise the front office. There are things that we've liked and things that we haven't liked. I think some of the moves that they've made overall have been pretty good. But in this one spot, like with handling the young players in general, um, there's this thing that I just can't stop seeing in my head about like how much we don't know. Because you know it's maddened me too. We talked about the handling of Kyle Wright in the past, the handling of Tuki, who was awful today and got pulled in the middle of a, a bat, which is crazy. Um, yeah. We'll come back to that, but. The handling the young pitchers has been weird. Like the way they handled the Fulty thing was kind of strange. Fulty's not young anymore, but still, it's just I don't know. There's lots of little things, and I'm not sure I would have put it the way you put it to get to make, to make everybody mad, which is that's fine. Um, <laughs> but I don't. Uh, not my intention. I know, and, and I, I, don't, I don't. I'm not even sure I disagree with you overall. I just my issues aren't usually with the front office. I find in recent days there have been certain things for sure. But I think the overarching thing for me when it comes to figuring out how to analyze a lot of Braves moves is like where the front office stops and where the manager starts. That's mm-hmm. kind of an overarching thing that I can't really ever figure out. And that's uh, this is and this Pacha thing is a good example of that where do I think that Anthopolis would have preferred to have Pache in there tonight? I don't I don't know. I mean, judging by what I know I would assume he would have liked to see Pache play, but at the same time, you got to know, I feel like you have to know when you call him up, there's a conversation that has to be had before you decide to do that with your manager. And if, if, if Snicker just says, okay, he's, he's going to be our defensive replacement outfielder. Don't even call him up. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It's just weird to me. Yeah. I don't get it. And I think I'll say this pitching prospects, especially in nature are incredibly volatile. Right, they, they say get ten of them. You hope that two or three of them stick. Um, I, I think whenever we're seeing, and especially in this short year, and I know it's different than any other year, but when all of the young pitchers seem to be struggling a little bit, maybe it's time to adjust a little bit because you would hope that one of these guys would start to figure it out a little bit after two years of bouncing between a couple of levels in the minors and the majors. I will, I, I will say this before before anybody else gets mad at you. Uh, they they did hit on two, and they've they've hit on two with Soroka and Freed. So I want I want to just get that out there before anybody else responds. And I, I hear yep. I hear people yelling because uh, of what you said with like ten ten prospects, and you want to hit on two. Yep. That's how many they've hit on. They've, they've hit on two. Um, but I'm with you that it's kind of been strange to see how they've handled the other ones. And by the way, the bridge to this is that there's all kinds of buzz that Ian Anderson's coming on Tuesday because they've they've optioned Kyle Wright um, to bring Chris Martin back. 
And uh, they, don't, they, don't, they actually don't need a fifth starter for a while, but with Tukey now being in the bullpen slash not even on the team anymore, potentially, um, because of the way that was handled today. Anderson, you know, all the beat guys were mentioning Anderson as a, I don't know if it's probable, but certainly a possible edging towards probable guy to pitch on Tuesday. And that's sure. another guy who we'll see how they handle him because that's another top flight prospect who now is going to be in the lion's den and we'll see. I'll say this on Soroka and Freed. Soroka was drafted in 2015, so he yes. had essentially three years before the Anthopolis front office took over. Um, again, I'm, I'm not trying to turn this into, is he a good GM? Is he a bad GM? Is he an okay GM? Um, but I think as we've seen, as, as Soroka and Freed have, have excelled, there's a whole lot of others who I, I have questions about uh, the development and how they, they've utilized them over the last couple of years. Maybe it'll work out. Again, we're talking about pretty small samples for all of these guys. Um, but again, that that's just kind of my feelings on it. And if it uh, has riled people up, that was not my <laughs> intent. Um, but, it, you know, again, I, I think it needs to be said when you're, you're consistently having some frustrations and, and really similar issues, all these guys are struggling to throw strikes is, is pretty much the MO for all these young pitchers. Um, I would I would be in favor of maybe trying something different to see if you have better results is all. Yeah, and the the whole thing about Anthopolis is that, uh, you know, number one, I am not a prospect expert by any means. Uh, number two, I know it sounds like I know it feels like he's been around for a while, but in terms of like drafting and developing prospects, he's not been around that long. Um, the guys who are making the imprint right now, even the young guys were all drafted in the previous regime. That that includes Acuna and Albies. Um, but at the same time, like you can't expect guys that Anthopolis drafted to be up and dominating right now. Cause he's not been around long enough for that. Yeah, so sure. that's one of the, I, I, I know, I know that you know that, but it's just one of those weird, we're in a weird space with Anthopolis in terms of the non major league evaluation, major mm-hmm. league stuff. You can evaluate cause we've, we've seen enough now. It's been pretty good. Although he's limited by the payroll sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. I think my overall grade for what I know of what he has done in the major league level is above average. Yep. Uh, it's, major, it's not ma- go ahead i was gonna say my gripe is not with the major league level at all yeah. for the most part i think he has done a fine job managing the big league club that is for sure yeah and i'm glad, I'm glad we said that just because I, I knew that you were saying that but I, I think that got misconstrued a little bit like that you were just like killing Anthopolis for his whole performance and there was some talk about like his you know contracts and all this stuff. that's not what we're talking about and that's not what you were talking about anyway but you know, because there was all kinds of discussion this offseason about, you know, Cole Hamels, for instance, is like, oh, what a terrible move by Anthopolis. Well, that's that's not really the case, and that's not what we're talking about. Um, and also, Ozuna's been great. So, anyway. And Darno. Travis Darno. Shout out, Travis Darno. Yeah, He's Travis Darno awesome. has been uh, really good. Other than a weird play tonight that was uh, kind of funny with him, his, his base running at <laughs> first base tonight was kind of funny. But I don't, I don't want to yeah, pile on because that was uh, not really uh, indicative of what he's been so far. Okay, that's good on that, I think. Uh, Sometimes you got sometimes you just go viral, Scott. You have you have this knack. First it <laughs> first it was Tiger, first it was the Tiger meme and now it's being mad at the front office. I swear to god, I don't sit on my phone and go, "All right, I'm going to rile some people up today. What should I fire out?" I just I just tweet my thoughts. I don't know, Brad. <laughs> I, know. I swear it's not it's not intentional. I'm with you all the way. Uh, all right, that's a good stopping point for now. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with more content on the Atlanta Braves. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. 
So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, let's talk about the rest of what transpired this week. And then I want to end by talking about the Fangraphs trade value rankings, which are pretty interesting to me. Um, we mentioned all of the machinations on the roster. Uh, the one thing I do want to make sure we point out is that Marcakis projects to be back on Tuesday, which could be interesting for someone like Matt Adams because uh, there's been some speculation, at least in the uh, interwebs, that Adams would be a natural guy to potentially part ways with. Um, Marcakis, I will say this, Marcakis makes Adams irrelevant if he is healthy. And that's someone, again, I liked Matt Adams in that pickup because it was good insurance. I, th- I thought he was better than Yonder Alonso. But ultimately, you do not want Matt Adams playing, I think, at his current level. I know it's a small sample size, but he, he does not look great. And that way, you have Marcakis to hit right-handed pitching. You play him in the corner outfield spot. You have Ozuna at DH, and uh, your lineup is better. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've <laughs> I've really come to appreciate Nick Marcakis because of yeah. his abilities against right I mean, he's been really good this year for a guy who... Uh, had a very short uh, summer camp 2.0 or whatever they called it uh, for for him to then step away for a couple weeks and opt out and then to come back and have, I don't know what it was, maybe seven to 10 days to get in game shape. He's been really solid. And I think we talked about as long as he is used correctly, which is, you know, occasionally in the field and primarily in, in the lineup against right-handed pitching, he has value. Again, I, I don't think you or I or anyone are really arguing that point and, this year, I think we've seen just how much better the lineup is when Nick is there uh, batting fifth you know, fifth or sixth. Yeah, he's a very, very valuable piece of what the Braves have, and we were consistent on that about what he can do well, and he's done that well. He's been very good this year, and they need him back. I mean, honestly, the lineup today, I don't want to get too too bogged down into it, but after Marquecas exited, they basically have three or four bad like bad hitters, like below average hitters in the lineup the last few days. Yeah, yeah. And that's a bad spot to be in. And granted, two of those guys are Camargo and Riley, who you hope are better than that. But if you combine, you know, Ender, Adams, Camargo, and Riley for what they actually have been this season, and those four guys are hitting in a row essentially in the lineup, that looks bad. And and you could see the results of that at times. So Marquecas being back bumps everybody down. And even, even if they're going to play Ender, and I'm not sure what's going to happen there, frankly, to bring things full circle from our earlier discussion, I'm assuming they're going to keep using Ender until at least until Ronald Acuna is back. And that's the other thing that I wanted to make sure we update is that Acuna and Albies are getting closer. Acuna took BP today. That's a good sign. Obviously, it goes without saying that the Braves need those guys to be healthy and good to be their best. Um, neither one of them have a definitive timeline, but there's some buzz that Ronald could play on Tuesday. Ozzy, I don't think, is going to play Tuesday, but uh, we'll see how he responds to a workout on the off day on Monday. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully the lineup stuff that we're worried about will be uh, papered over yeah. by the return of two very good players. It was an interesting comment. I mean, it seems like Acuna is ahead of Ozzy, which is a little bit yeah. of a surprise um, because of the times of the injury. Buster only said on Sunday night that the Braves are looking at, I think he said September 4th as the date for Ozzy to potentially return now. That's, uh, you know, if, if Sunday is effectively over, that's 10-plus days away. Um, I, miss, so I, that, missed, that, I missed that one, so that's actually interesting. I mean, and by the way, I don't think anybody else on the Brave side has said that, but Buster has sources that I don't think everybody else has, so. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, he was doing, I don't know what his, his setup was for tonight's game exactly, but yeah, that's uh, a homestand. I guess it's whenever the Braves 
um, return. They hit the road here pretty soon, so they have a yep. Thursday, the third off, and then they come back home for a three-game series with the Nats. At that point, the season is 60% over. So I am glad that they are taking their time, especially with Ozzy. It was driving me bats that they were – uh, continuing to play him when he was obviously not healthy. and That he batted we, with the wrong hand because he was so yeah, injured. Yeah, at that point, it's like, <laughs> guys, what, someone has to, to call this because it's bad. I mean, it's like, you know, when they're trying to play through like a rainstorm and it's just pouring like all hell and it's like, okay, we should probably call this. Um, it, it's the same thing. So I'm glad they're, they're taking their time. And hey, if, if he doesn't feel right on September 4th, don't play him. They're doing okay. They're They're 15 and 11, I think. At this point, we know of the injuries and everything, the, the problems in the starting rotation. Um, do not risk the long-term health of Ozzy Albies, who was signed for another seven years on that amazing contract uh, for a couple of, of, I don't want to call them trivial games, but in the grand scheme of things, games that just don't mean all that much at the first week of September. Right. I mean, that's the overarching sentiment that I have as well about Ronald and Ozzy is just like, be careful on those guys. Uh, this season is so weird anyway. They're they're holding up just fine-ish without these guys. And long-term, these are your two core pieces that are locked up for a long, long time. They're young, and you can't afford them to have any sort of issues. So take your time. Be extra, extra, extra careful um, with both of them. And if Ronnie's ready to play on Tuesday, that's, that's totally cool if he's ready to go. But um, if they were to take till September 4th for Ozzy, it wouldn't bother me because that I would hope that that means that they're taking their time and being responsible with it. So uh, sign me up for when those guys are back. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on them, obviously, in the coming days. Uh, last thing I want to mention real quickly before we get into our uh, final topic, I believe, which is those trade value rankings, which have actually including Acuna and Albies. Um, I just want to shout out Adam Duvall because Adam Duvall uh, is Adam Duvall, but we, we enjoy Adam Duvall's work. But he had, he had a big home run on Monday. Before Dansby walked it off, and then he wa- and then Duvall himself walked it off on Saturday. Uh, we've talked about everyone, I think, a pretty decent amount in the early part, or the early part of the season. But Duvall, we've mentioned, we've talked about how good he's been. It's not always like he's not the most like level-headed, consistent guy in the world. He's always kind of high, hot, hot and cold. But it's been hotter than colder this year. A couple of huge clutch moments, and it's a situation where. I'm not sure where they where they'd be without Adam Duvall this year, uh, especially because of all the other injuries and stuff that they've had. Adam Duvall has been uh, someone we've always enjoyed, but he's been like very critical to them. So shout out to yeah, him. yeah, yeah. I mean, again, as you said, some huge, huge hits this year. I think he has uh, a couple, if not, I know he's at least the one walk off. I want to say he has another walk off somewhere. If not, then maybe a tying home run late in the game. Um, he's been great. I think it really says a lot about him because we know how much he struggled after that trade two summers ago. Um, so bad. He, I, he was not getting at bats. Then last year he spent really most of the year in the minor leagues. We always um, believe Scott, we were right about Adam Duvall. We were right. We were right. We were right. It's right. It's almost as if uh, <laughs> five years of data overshadows uh, 35 batted bats or something like that. That's, but, that's really weird. Um, isn't it? Uh, crazy. Yeah. Um, but again, <laughs> um, He's clearly a, a talented guy, a guy who can really help out your roster. Um, as you said, it's hard to imagine, especially with the injuries, where they would be without him. Uh, defensively, he's strong, good base runner, hitting well, even against righties, which was not necessarily his strongest point in Cincinnati. He's held his own against righties. He's primarily only faced righties. There's just so few left-handed pitchers uh, in the National League and American League East that they've seen so far. So um, shout-outs to Adam Duvall. He's having a great year. Uh, last... Quickly, lastly, quickly before I forget to say this, uh, 
I had a good laugh when I looked ahead to the schedule this week. First of all, the Braves only have five games. They have an off day on Monday. They have an off day on Thursday. Uh, so pretty light for the second straight week. They have uh, a pretty light schedule. But uh, other teams have their listed starters. The Braves' list of starters for this week are as follows. Tuesday, TBD. Wednesday, Max Freed, which is, he's been incredible, by the way. Max Freed has a 1.32 ERA. He's been ridiculous all season long. Yeah, the name value, or the name recognition may not be there, but, I mean, Max is going to get Cy Young votes if he has another good month. Oh, if the season ended, if the season ended today, he might win a Cy Young. That's how good yeah. he's been. He's yep. been ridiculous. Um, okay, so yeah, TBD Tuesday, Freed Wednesday, Friday against the Phillies, TBD, Saturday against the Phillies, TBD, <laughs> Sunday against the Phillies, TBD. Yep. That tells you everything you know about the Braves rotation right now. It's yeah. just it's 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 literally Max Freed and prayer. Uh, we're hoping that Anderson pitches on Tuesday, but yep. after that, like for instance, as a reminder again, Kyle Wright was optioned this week. Uh, Tuki Toussaint went from the rotation to the bullpen because he was really bad on Monday, and the rotation got pulled out of the rotation. Um, was was available to pitch at the bullpen on Saturday. Did not, did not pitch pitched tonight and was so bad control wise that he got pulled in the middle of an at bat. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have then you have the other options which are Josh Tomlin, Robbie Erlin who was bad the last time out. Like they they literally, I mean this is not I can't I can't <laughs> believe this is where we are. They have one starting pitcher. The Braves yeah. have one starting pitcher. And we we've, we've mm-hmm. kind of known that for the last few weeks, but it really became into stark relief this week because we were all we were kind of hoping uh, holding out hope for right in particular, because Wright was like the guy that they, that was at least like written in, in pencil in the in the rotation, he's not even there anymore. I, I have yeah, no idea they what him. they're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean, when you're getting skipped for Robbie Erlin, not Zach Eflin, Robbie Erlin, and uh, and Josh Tomlin to start. I mean, they, they skipped Wright because the start was uh, rained out on Wednesday. I want to say. Yep. Um, yeah, it's rough, man. I mean, Ian Anderson, for sure, no pressure kid, go get him. If he does debut on Tuesday, he's going to face uh, the New York Yankees. Aaron Judge is coming back. I think they're without LeMahieu and Stanton, but even then, that is a very tall task. But uh, not to throw all the pressure in the world on Anderson, but obviously, if he's able to give them even decent level starting pitching, and not just not just the results, but just work into the fifth or sixth inning, for the love of God, um, this bullpen, as good as it's been, is going to burn out I, I think they cannot consistently throw five six seven innings just about every night um other than, as you said other than the max freed starts and a couple of random like tuki toussaint had that one great start against the blue jays <laughs> erlin had um, one too erlin had a two solid ago. four innings even then it was four innings i mean every night they're being counted on for five six innings i know it's a short year and they have a bigger bullpen than normal but at some point i think it's inevitable it's going to come back to bite them in the butt a little bit if the pitchers can't start working into games a little bit deeper. Right. And we saw on Saturday that, you know, having the Robbie Erlin experience, I'm not, this is not about him. Like I'm not trying to crap on him, but he can't be started for you. I mean, he had the one great spot start and then he, they, they went back to one Saturday. He was pretty bad. I know they won that game, but they were down for nothing in a hurry. So yep. yeah, they just don't have, honestly, if you made me pick a number two starter for a playoff series right now, I'd be Josh Tomlin. So that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, tell me I'm wrong. I, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, if, if it was my choice, um, that or maybe consider a bullpen star. Well, that's what that, that, that's athlete. what that is, honestly. That's what that is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to even Tomlin, you're hoping to get you're hoping to get four out of Tomlin, like yeah. maybe maybe five at the absolute most. And honestly, he's your best long reliever. 
and now you're just putting him as a starter. So it's not like there are no good answers. The only, the Braves are really we've said this now a number of times we've been and we've uh, not benefited from it, but the Braves really needed Kyle Wright. He didn't really step up in that moment, and I think hopefully he'll be back in, in the near future. I would still. I would not bail on Kyle Wright. I know it's been bad. Um, I think they need to give him opportunities to pitch. He's not someone that I would jettison. I would. Uh, I'm more okay with them bailing on Tukey, even though I love Tukey. I'm more okay with them keeping him on a short leash because uh, he's not he's not quite on the level of Wright in my mind anymore in terms of prospect status and all that stuff. But I mean, man, pulling Tukey in the middle of the bat. Yeah, that that's bad. I mean that that is. Um... I mean, I almost think it comes off as an embarrassment for the pitcher, and I'm not saying it wasn't necessarily warranted because it was going down. I mean, he, I mean, he looked he looked awful, but uh, yeah, still, yeah, it's you just could see uh, the wheels falling off and the, the you know the train going off the tracks. But to pull a pitcher mid at bat, I mean, again, I, I said you know we, you and I and everybody have watched God knows how many Braves games over the years. I think I've seen that maybe once, other than for injury, maybe once have I seen a pitcher get pulled in the middle of an at bat. Well, especially um, in the middle of a regular season game, yeah, it wasn't as I mean, it wasn't super high leverage. I mean, it was important in the game, but it's important yeah. in one game, and I don't like know, man. Inning. Yeah, it was that was strange. So anyway, if I w- if it, if I was in charge, I would probably go back to right one more time. But yeah. man, it'd be good if Ian Anderson was any good at all. And even then, like he's a talented guy, but he wasn't even great in Gwinnett last year. Like he's not a surefire guy to be great right sure. now. So yeah. I, I don't want to put too much too much on Ian Anderson. He's a really talented pitcher. Obviously the Braves invested quite a bit in him in the draft. I like him a lot. Our prospect guys like him a lot, but uh don't uh don't be shocked if he's not great. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And, and facing uh you know probably the best lineup in baseball. Yeah, by the way, go ahead go ahead go ahead out there kid and you're facing Garrett Cole on Tuesday. Yeah. My no pressure. Um yeah. all right, last thing there's these Fangraphs trade value rankings, and uh, you know, candidly, baseball trade value rankings are interesting because there's no salary cap. Uh, I cover basketball where trade value is a huge thing when it comes to like manipulating the numbers, and you have to match salary on trades. In baseball, none of those rules actually occur. But the Braves were recognized on this list, and uh, the headliner is that Ronald Acuna is considered to be the number one player in baseball in terms of trade value by Fangraphs. Ozzy Albies is number six on the list. Now, you won't be surprised by anybody else that's in the top five. And by the way, I linked to this in the show notes. You can go look at it. Um, Ronnie's number one. And then you have the group of uh, that I call the, the big four behind Ronald Acuna. And that is uh, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Mike Trout. So that that's the top four in some order is Acuna, Tatis, Soto, and Trout. And they went with Acuna first. And then you have uh, Alex Bregman was fifth and then Ozzy was sixth. So all this is, is like a combination of, are you really good? Yes. And is your contract really good? Yes. Uh, so we'll start with Ozzy real quick. Ozzy by Fangraphs is projected for 27 Fangraphs war over the five seasons from 2021 through 2025. So that's averaging more than five per season. And here's the headliner on Ozzy. He's guaranteed only $29 million total yeah. for those five seasons. <laughs> so it's yeah. almost almost a Fangraphs war per million dollars, which is insane. Yeah. Um, so that's why, if you're wondering why, you know, Ozzy is a borderline star. Ozzy is not as good as the other guys on this list. 
but he also has the most comical contract in the entire major leagues. So that's yep. why he's here. Yeah, I mean, again, that contract is a godsend for the Braves' front office. And, yes. hey, look, I'm not going to act like $30 million plus for Ozzy, and he's probably going to get paid again very well at the end of, his, of, the, at the end of this deal. Um, but as far as what he would get if he were, say, a free agent in a couple of months, you could probably triple it, if not more. So, um, again, as you said, Ozzy, terrific young player. I think Fangraphs in their piece, they said they, of course, talked to scouts and front office folks around the league. And yep. uh, a couple of them said unsolicited. They think that Ozzy has another gear and he can be even better than he's been his first couple of years, which is a scary thought. I, mean, um, I, I agree for the record, because honestly, yeah. if he can just hit a little bit better from the left side, that's that's enough. Yeah. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and the glove is so good. He's a terrific athlete. He does everything you want. By all means, an 80-grade character and, and human being. Um, so, yeah, Braves are in, a, in great shape because of that contract, and obviously uh, they should have him under control for the better part of the next decade. Yeah, so he's sixth. No surprise there, a uh, budding star on a fantastic contract for the Braves. Um, just for the reference before, before we end, end with Ronnie, uh, Freddie Freeman was on the list last year. This is a, by, by the way, this is a top 50 plus honorable mentions. Freddie was on the list last year, but he fell off this year in part, I would say in big part, because he only has one more year left in his contract. Um, yep. And at the moment, he is still going to be a free agent uh, pretty soon. So keep that in mind. Yep. I think they're probably going to extend him at some point because the Braves love him and I think he wants to stay. But he's still a free agent coming up pretty soon. That's why he's not on this list. And then you have Mike Soroka who fell off, but they even said candidly that he would have been on the list if not for the Achilles injury. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. And then uh, both Freed and Pache were honorable mentions. I actually think if Freed performs anything anything close to this for the rest of the season that he will be on the list next year yeah as not a, yeah. as not an not an honorable mention but uh that makes sense and pache obviously he, he hadn't I, i'm not sure he has even debuted when he when the list came out or close to it so <laughs> that's just a that, that's a nod to him being a top 10 prospect basically and those kind of guys uh are just super valuable because they're making no money and they're really talented yeah i mean again you, you talk about the position the braves are set up for the long term and i think we always talk about that and having um, having that many players, honorable mention or not. Um, again, I think, as you said, Soroka makes the list if he's healthy and free, who I believe has three more years of arbitration control, though he did bounce around a little bit, so I don't know that off the top of my head. But um, again, really good shape to be in, and you still hope that some of the uh, other prospects in the minors are able to, to contribute, Ian Anderson, Drew Waters, uh, those types, the young catchers as well. We've seen just how valuable good young catchers are, and we've gotten a taste, and we've talked about how uh, the Braves are spoiled with their level of catcher production every single year, and they hope that with Contreras and Langleyers, uh, they're able to continue that for years to come. I will not swear to this, but uh, according to my very, very quick Fangraphs lookup just now, Freed is arbitration eligible in 2021, and he will not be free agent eligible until 2025. Oof, that helps. I mean, four years would be awesome for, for Yeah, so again, don't don't hold us to that. That's literally me looking it up on my phone in two seconds. But regardless, he's under contract. He's under control for a long time and uh, is still pretty young and obviously pitching at a very high level. Uh, last thing, Ronald Acuna uh, projected for 30.3 Fangraphs war over that five-season span. And I, I might take the over on that, frankly. Um, that's, the, that's the projection, though. And he's only making $98 million total. Uh, in that stretch, which is obviously a lot more than Ozzy, which explains uh, some of this gap. But um, basically, the article lays out the fact that the comparison was, it was basically a four-man race between Acuna, Tatis, Soto, 
and Mike Trout. And uh, in short, Acuna is under contract or under team control for longer than Tatis yeah. and Soto because of his extension. And he's also so much cheaper than Trout that you have to go with Ronald Acuna. So obviously, if you're trying to figure out the trade value, none of these guys are actually going to get traded, so keep that in <laughs> mind. But yeah. it was it's a, it's a combination between Ronnie already having the extension in place at a far below market value and also being an unquestioned top talent, and that combination wins the day. Yeah, well, and I think when you if you're the Nationals or the Padres and approaching Soto or Tatis with a contract, one that's going to set them and their families up for lives for the rest of their lives, Acuna's contract is going to be the baseline, and that's that's where it becomes such a value for the Braves. I think that's why Fangraphs has them number one, even if not by an you know a crazy margin, because Tatis and, and Soto still have I think five to six or seven years even under their under their yeah, rookie contract. They're contracts. technically cheaper right now at the moment, but Acuna because he locked it in yeah. at the yeah. end. They're assuming that Acuna will, will be making less over those like last two years than right. Soto than Soto or Tatis will be because. In theory, those t- those two guys would not take the same very, very, very team-friendly extension that Acuna took. Right. Yeah, Tatis is a four-year arbitration guy and doesn't ever sign a deal. I mean, he's going to make close to, what, $35, 40000000 bucks if he keeps on his trajectory. You would um, assume. Just, yeah. You don't have that, and who knows where, you know, who knows where anything will be in 2026, but because Acuna's money is locked in, even if it is a little bit higher money the last couple of years, that deal naturally um, it's still a screaming bargain for the Braves and one that should set them up for a long time. You would also, uh, I just want to point out the fact that Mike Trout is so preposterously good at baseball that he's still in the top four despite making incredible amounts of money. Like, yeah. Do you have any idea how good you have to be to still be a top five value in baseball, making yeah. essentially the most money in the entire league? Yeah. I like, mean, everybody else ridiculous. on that list, yeah, everyone else on that list for the most part is like 27 or younger. And, not the and they're all yeah no man. I mean everybody else that's that's near the top is either making is either locked into a far below market extension or they're still pre arb, yeah. and Trout has been making bukus of money he's already on his third his third extension and he's still up there because he's that good mm-hmm. yeah, like like Mookie he's... Betts is like somewhere I, I forgot, but he's like outside the top twenty and Mookie Betts is incredible Mookie Betts is probably the second best player in baseball but. Because he's making so much money, you have to knock him down a little bit when compared to the other guys. Trout is making as much or more, I think more, than Mookie Betts. Yeah, yeah. And is still like 20 spots higher. <laughs> oh, Mike Trout. Um, he's, he's pretty decent. He has that dad strength now. He's a dad. He's staying up late at night. And still well, hitting. that's <laughs> – it's one of those all-time hypotheticals that people were do, like doing when we, when we were actually all bored uh, like six months ago. It's like, all right – if the Angels called and they offered Trout for Acuna, who says no? It's like, well, Oof. this is not going to happen, but it is kind of an interesting question in a lot of yeah. ways. The Braves would say no, by the way, because they don't want to pay him. But uh, yeah. the Braves, it, it's really only, I actually heard Craig Edwards, who's in charge of the, of the Fangraphs list, um, and shouts to him for doing all this Intel work and all that stuff. I heard him interviewed about this, and he actually said a big part of the reason why guys like um, Ozzy and Ronnie are so high is that if they were actually on the trade market, every single team in the league would want to trade for them. Yep. Whereas if Trout was on the trade market, there are a lot of teams that actually wouldn't want to trade for him um, because because he's making so much money. Yep, that's a good point. You're right. Like, I mean, if 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 Acuna or Ozzy were out there, the Baltimore Orioles, you can bet they yeah. would have every interest in the because they're signed for eight years and they're twenty you know, and they're two cheap. Or three. Yeah. Right. I mean. Yeah. The thing about, I mean, I'm not sure about the Braves, but there are teams that have less, that spend less money than the Braves do. Like the Pirates don't want Mike Trout. 
which is crazy to think about, but it's probably <laughs> true. Yeah. Or like the Rays, like teams that just don't have the payroll flexibility at all to take on a guy who's guaranteed sure. thirty plus million dollars a year for like ten more years. Uh, so that's just kind of interesting to think about out loud. But I thought that was pretty uh, new as an approach to going out about this, but I think it actually makes a ton of sense. So, yeah, yeah, it's anyway. a great series. If you guys haven't uh, taken a look at it, it's fun to look at and see just kind of how players are valued and dollar, as you said, the dollar and contract control versus age versus production. Um, yeah, it, it really is a good series. I think they've done it for four or five years now. Last year, Acuna was number one as well. I think the year before that, um, he was maybe in the 30s or 40s, but at that point, he only had maybe 30 or 40 games under his under his belt. Um, but a fun <laughs> series to be sure. Yeah, for sure. Check that out on Fangraphs. Those guys do great work. And uh, all right, that's probably enough of us. Uh, it's now 11.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm delusional <laughs> at this point in time. But uh, as West Coast, Cor- West Coast correspondent, Scott, I appreciate you being here. After the late game, we did we, we sort of saw this coming this year when the Braves were given a bunch of Sunday night games, and uh, this was one of them, so here we are. Yep, they're going to do it again next Sunday, so I'm sure I'll, uh, I'll be talking to you soon. I, I believe oh, Lord, I didn't even look ahead to that. Is that actually true? They play true? the Phillies. I think they finished two with the Yankees, and then they head to Philadelphia. I think they go to Philly and then Boston um, with an off day uh, balanced in it. The uh, Major League worst Boston Red Sox. Season was over yeah, today. I think are... the Red Sox have the worst record even without chris sale and the pitching issues they that roster sucks and they have like 240 million dollars invested it's hard to really comprehend they are Um, god awful uh to be fair to them pittsburgh's still worse by i think uh, a half game or so but they're the worst team in the the american league and uh pittsburgh four times (laughs) with four and a half times the payroll that the pirates yeah Yeah. and by the way pittsburgh's won three games in a row and they're seven and 17 so oof yeah, yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking uh, con- at the last right now. Confirmed, Mr. Roland. Uh, 7.08 start in Philadelphia next Sunday night. Yeah, so it might be me and you again. I have to. Uh, I can't imagine I would ever try to make Eric record uh, after a regular <laughs> season game at 11 p.m. Eric has children and a wife. I have neither of those things. You have one of those things, not children. And it's also three, <laughs> no it's also three, it's also three hours earlier for you. It's so 8.30. Yeah, yeah, it's 8.30 fine. out here. The night is young. So it might be me and you again next week, but I'll talk to Eric. We'll figure we'll figure all of this stuff out, but uh, we'll have content. If you have been listening to the interviews that we've been posting that are video video only originally, but now audio as well with, with Garav on the feed. Hopefully you've enjoyed those. Subscribe to the podcast. Follow Scott for all of his blazing takes about the front office <laughs> on, on Twitter.com. Don't yell at me, please. Enough people uh, yell at me. I'm not uh, trying to run people up, Brad. I swear to God. I just I, I know. know Listen, uh, you, you tweet from your throne out there in Arizona where no one, no one can touch you. You're just like isolated on the island over there. No, don't to, yeah, don't have to run into anybody at, you know, Quick Mart or the Varsity or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You'll you see some Braves fan that's going like, to challenge you to a duel in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. We will see you next time. Again, subscribe. Tell a friend, check out all the content on TalkingChop.com, and we'll see you.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.